Let's go ahead and open up to James 5. James 5 is where we're going to spend our time this evening. So we will be in chapters, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. And I want you to think about uh, something just before we, we get started there. There's a, 195 countries in the world, 195 countries. And when you look at the wealthiest countries out of all of them, the United States ranks in the top 10 across any metric that you pretty much can look at a wealthy country. And so while many of us might look at a passage like this where it talks about the rich, it talks about the wealthy, and the tendency is to disconnect because you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not a billionaire. Those are the wealthy, wealthy, rich, rich people that we're talking about. I think it's important for us to understand that by association, by us just living in the United States, we are wealthy when it comes to in comparison to the rest of the world. And so this text that we're reading here today uh, it applies to us greatly because more than other poor countries, we have the ability to fall into some of those same temptations and desires and pitfalls that the, the wealthy can because it's all around us. And so it's important that we understand uh, this is applying to us as well. And so let's pick it up in verse 1, chapter 5. And James says this, the same way he started off, the, end, the last passage that we read in verse 13 of chapter 4, come now. You remember that? When he said come now, he was talking about those businessmen, those merchants that I had talked about that boast in tomorrow. He says come now. He says the same thing when he's talking about the rich. Come now. So come now, you rich. And he calls them rich. And that's not a term of endearment. That's not saying anything like politely. That's saying you unrighteous, you rich, those people that focus on money. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And so if you think about all throughout Scripture, as a matter of fact, there's over 2,000 verses in Scripture that reference money. Right? 40% of Jesus' teachings represent refer to money. And so that is a big deal. The Bible has a lot to say about money and how we handle money. And he and James is telling us that it's going to be misery, right? You're going to weep and howl as you foreshadow and see where all of your money hungry, your greediness leads you, the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Pause there again. It was a big deal to have multiple garments, Right? The more, more clothing that you had, the more apparel that you had, then that was a, a, a direct correlation with your status in this culture. If you go back to James chapter 2, right, we talk a lot about partiality. Right? And then the rich man who wears fine clothing, right? the poor man who wears shabby clothing. And so clothing was a big deal. And so James calls that out again. Right? He's saying your garments are moth-eaten, those that you have stored up. Verse 3 your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Again, I've mentioned that time and time again. We look at James' teaching, and a lot of where he gets it from is Jesus, right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He's talking about storing up treasures in heaven. And so here James goes again, referencing the teaching of Jesus here. Verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept, which you kept back by fraud, he's not paying them, are crying out against you. 
and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, gratifying the flesh. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. A person there, once we think about that, it's more of a general group of people, not a specific person that James is talking about. But he's saying you've taken it to the extreme measure, right? He gives all these charges, and he says you've gone so far as murdered the righteous person because he's essentially gotten your way of getting money. And if you're reading this passage, I know one of the things that popped up for me as I was reading this passage is, wait, it wasn't James talking about Christians. I thought the, the original audience in this, when we started at the beginning, was we're talking about Christians. I mean, he cannot be talking about Christians right now when we're talking about people that are murdering others all because of their love of money. And so this is a hard one to, to really put your thumb on to say, is he talking about Christians? Is he talking about non-Christians? Are they non-Christians in the church? What is that? And so there was one uh, scholar and one professor that said this, and I thought it was illustrated well. He was like, James is, is preaching here with the windows open in a sense, right? He's preaching to his congregation, some Christians, but at the same time, the windows are open. So I almost picture it as open-air preaching, right? Public preaching. He's outside. He's talking to his audience, warning them that the love of money can lead to these things, but at the same time, he's saying this boldly enough and loudly enough for those that are outside in the marketplace, those businessmen, those merchants, that they can hear it as well. And so he's pointing to them and calling them out, not necessarily in the church, but saying those are the ones that he's referring to, come now, you rich. And so there's a mixture of both of them that, uh, that's being addressed here, the Christians that are within the church to warn them, and then also those are that are on the fringes of the church, uh, but not really plugged into it. I worked in, in retail for a few years, and one of the worst days of retail is, is inventory. Uh, inventory. Inven- they have an, an, uh, an annual audit uh, for inventory, and it's just a painful and tedious process. And most of the time when you're on, on schedule for the inventory night, you've got to be there all night. Because this audit team comes in and they scan every single code, barcode that's in the building. Every single one of them. So think about like a Target or Walmart. Every single little travel size bottle of lotion, every single bleach, every single cereal, all of that, they got to scan all of it. And that's not it. Not even on the floor. They go to the back room and they got to scan all of those. And you have to be there to observe. And so you can imagine that's just a long and tedious night. But that audit shows a lot. It gives a lot of Uh, a detail to that store. It tells you, one, how much you have actually on hand versus how much the system says you have. It also tells you how much shortage that you have because there is, there's theft, of course, and it can dictate how much has walked or has left out of your store without ever having a transaction recorded for it. It also can tell you your ordering efficiency, right? How much you order on hand versus how much you actually sell and how much you're actually letting go to defective because it's out of date, it's on clearance, and all those good things. So this, this, this reporting tells you a whole bunch of stuff. Because at the end of the day, the whole point of any retail store is to order just enough to have on hand, but not so much to where a lot of things become defective and they go out of date. Right? And so there, there's, that, there's that balance that you always have to have. And so there is, you know, a lot of stores that can look good on the surface. Right? They look like they're, they're full, 
They look like they always have everything on stock, but then they could be horrible when it comes to profit because they're wasting a lot of money on the back end. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the profit. In, in our Christian life, it's the same way. We could, everything could look good here. It could feel good here because we have everything that we want and we're, 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 we're taking up stock here in this life. And we have all the inventory. Life is looking good. But at the end of the day, we lose sight of the point. We, we lose sight that it's not about this life. It's not about racking up the best things here. It's about our eternal profits. It's how much have we stored up treasures in heaven. It's the whole point of our Christian life. And so it could give us that facade that everything here is looking good when that was never the purpose. The purpose is for us to store up eternal treasures. And that brings us to our point number one this evening is you and I need to see the danger in that. You and I need to see the danger in living your best life now, storing up everything here, making sure that everything looks like it's in stock here, but at the end of the day, we're missing the point. The end of the point, the point with retail is profit. The point with our Christian life is eternal profit, eternal treasures is what we should be storing up here and that we should be aiming towards here. And if we're not doing that, we miss the point. And here's the thing, it's, it's not about being wealthy that's a bad thing in itself because we see people all throughout scripture that are wealthy that have eyes fixated on God right Abraham was one all right Job was one David was one Philemon was another one we could tell he had slaves he had he had a land he had a lot of things he had money he was wealthy so it's not the fact of being wealthy that's the problem it's the love of money and at the end of the day for us we it's okay for us to enjoy the gifts that God has given us that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to enjoy what God has blessed you with. It becomes bad when we try to set up shop here and have the mindset of this is all that there is. So I got to live it up and I got to live my best self now, my best life now. It's like being in a hotel, right? You're in a hotel. You know you're not going to be in a hotel that long. You wouldn't go into a hotel and say, I got to get new bed sheets, right? I got to put uh, pictures on the wall. I got to put my family all up on the wall. You wouldn't do that. It'd be silly. Because that's not your home. You're not going to set up shop there, but you are going to enjoy the time that you are there. And that's what we're talking about when we look at this earth and living our best life now, and we need to see the danger in that. It's not about this life. Verse 2 in our passage talks about the riches are being rotted, right? The garments are moth-eaten. Gold and silver has corroded. Everything, everything that's here on this earth is going away. Everything is going away. And I mentioned that passage uh, that, that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's turn there, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 19. Let's go there to hear the words of Jesus precisely and where James was picking it up from when he talked about storing up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Like First Peter talked about, uh, in First Peter 1, he talks about storing up treasures in heaven, right? That's guarded by God, God's power. Can't be touched because God is guarding them, right? Those are the treasures that we want to store up. And then he says this in verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Right? Your treasure can only be in one place. 
We think we can spread our, our treasures all amongst different places, but our treasure is really in one place. Our focus typically is in one place, in one place alone. That's all we have the capacity to give attention to is one place. Verse 22, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Again, we, we, we can only focus on one thing. Right? Our, our treasure is only rooted in one thing. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot serve God and money. Could really say that five times and then call it a sermon, because too often you and I think that we can do it. We think, we think we're the ones that can finally figure it out, that can serve God and money and do it well. And Jesus himself is saying, you can't do it. You can't do it because I require wholehearted devotion. I require, as our, as our sermon series is called, being all in for Christ. All in. And so there's no, there, no way that we can balance and try to love both God and money. Back in our passage, it says, it will be evidence against you. Evidence against you. And so that, that picture there is the, the same time and the same energy that we spent consuming and trying to run after and chase after these gold and silver and, and garments and all of these things, God, God's word is saying it will be evidence against us. Come judgment day, it, it will be, God will just be able to point at all the time and effort that we spent chasing money, chasing all of the, the material things. I had a, a basketball coach in college. He used to always say, the big eye in the sky doesn't lie. What? What do you mean? The big eye in the sky doesn't lie. And what he was saying is, the film doesn't lie. Right? You can say you boxed out over here. You can say that wasn't your fault over here. You can say I didn't make the foul over here. But guess what? When we go to film, the big eye in the sky doesn't lie. Right? It has no bias towards anything. It just shows you what the truth is. And so there was a lot of time where it was like, Coach, I didn't do that. And he'd say, the big eye in the sky doesn't lie. And you're like, man, forgot about the eye in the sky. Right? There's, there's no bias there. And so you and I, the, the same truth will happen to us come judgment day. If we rack up all of our time, we spend all of our time, spend all of our effort chasing after money or chasing after material things, chasing after gold and silver and clothing and, and keeping up with the Joneses and all of that stuff, that will be evidence against us. And God will just point to that and say, look, and the biggest thing there that will be on full display that we can't see here is, is your heart. Again, because you, you can tell me, you can tell your other brothers around the table that, look, my eyes are on Christ, but yet your actions say something different. Come judgment day, when you and I stand before Christ, our heart will be on full display. Right? None of us will be able to say, no, well, this is where I meant it. Here's where your heart was. Here's exactly what you were chasing after. I don't need your commentary because here's all the evidence against you. Right, full display. How do we address that now? How do we examine that now? PM talked about this in our last men's breakfast. There's two ways that you can examine exactly where your heart is, your bank account and your calendar. Your bank account and your calendar. 
It's, it's a version of the big eye in the sky. Just look at it. Look at where all your money goes. Look at where all your time goes. Right? And, of course, for men, most of our time is spent at work. But think about what you're doing at work. Think about your mindset. That's okay. You're called to work, but is it fixated on Christ? Is it constantly thinking about how do I glorify God here? How do I seek first his kingdom even when I'm spending a lot of hours at work? Right? Your calendar and your bank account. You want to know the truth? Don't convince yourself. Just look at that. It'll tell you everything that you need to know because that is where our heart is. It's going to give us a true assessment. It's going to give us a true assessment whether our hearts are on eternal things or our hearts are on living our best life now. In verse 5, James mentions that, what that looks like, living your best life now. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Luxury and in self-indulgence. The name Arthur Pop Moman probably doesn't ring a bell to many of you. But in 1913, he had one of the famous, one of the most famous cartoon, um, cartoon articles that were, comic strips, I should say, that were in various newspapers. And you might remember it from the idiom of keeping up with the Joneses. But that was a big deal back in the day. It, I mean, it, it, stu- it stood in the many newspapers for 20, 30 years, keeping up with the Joneses. And the whole point of that comic strip was that you had this family here that was trying to keep up with their neighbors. Their neighbors were, were, were flaunting things. Their neighbors were always on the, the upper end of status, and they were always trying to chase what they had, keeping up with the Joneses. And it was a struggle because a lot of times they were living well above their means to try to keep up with the Joneses. And that's the example that, 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 that we can get from living a life of luxury. It's constantly trying to do what your neighbor is doing, constantly trying to keep up with the culture, constantly trying to get the newest and the best and the latest and the greatest instead of being content with what you have because you want to be looked upon highly by the culture. You want, you want people to commend you for having the nicest things. You want people to say, hey, wow, I'm impressed by that car you drive. Or you want people to say, wow, I, the way you dress is so fashionable, right? We, we, we're chasing after all these things. We're trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's that living a life of luxury and self-indulgence. It's all about me, 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 and how do I get the best out of this life now? And James is saying that there, there's no place for that because if we're doing that, if we're trying to set up shop here, our eyes are looking down and we're not setting our eyes on things above. There's just no way you can do it. You can't look down and up at the same time. And James wants us to realize that. He says, we're fattening our hearts in a day of slaughter. Right? And the, the Jews here would understand that. Right? They, they would understand the whole point of fattening up the sheep and fattening up the cattle to send it to slaughter. And you just you think about one of those animals during that time, right? They think they're living life. Right? They're getting all the best foods. They're getting food after food after food. They're not even taking a break to take a breath before they get another plate of food. It's like being at a Brazilian steakhouse. You've been to one of those? I'm like, man, that, that is great, but then I, I feel miserable afterwards. I feel like I'm about to be taken out to the slaughter. But right, they, they, they keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you, and you can start to think that this is great. This is how I should be treated. I love this life, but meanwhile, you don't hear the slaughter getting started up over there. That's right. They're feeding you up for a purpose. Because you're about to be destroyed. James uses that illustration, and it's great. 
all right, we can get our minds so fixated on this earth and setting up shop here and living our best life now that we think, man, this is great. I finally figured it out. I got a little bit of God over here, and I'm living this life okay. And we're just feeding, 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 not realizing judgment day is right around the corner. Well, all of this is going to be evidence against us. And we need to be able to pull back and see that and understand, as we talked about last time, God's will is a great barometer to where you can understand where's your mind focused on, right? It shouldn't be focused on this life. It should be focused on Matthew 6, 33, seek God's kingdom, right? Seek the kingdom, seek first the kingdom, right? Seek first the kingdom, love God and love others, right? We talked about those first two steps, right? If we can do that with our money, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. We can do that, and we can love God and love, love others. We're getting ourselves on a, a good start. None of that says self-indulgence. None of that says, I got to get a little bit of this. None of that says, I want to do what's best for me. Right? It's not about storing up treasures on this earth. Right? God's given us all blessings. God's given us all resources. God's given us all gifts and finances and those type of things, not to then spend on yourselves, but to further his kingdom. There's people in this church right now that have a need, right? And some of you are comfortable in life. You got more cars than, than you have bodies in your house. You got more things than you know what to do with, and there's others that are in need in this church. I think of a great great opportunity that we have as men to be able to step up is the fix-it ministry, right? One of the projects that the fix-it ministry does every month is they, we, we have a list of the widows that are within our church, and then the guys get together and they go do special projects for these widows that don't have a husband to be able to, you know, do some of the work around the house, that don't have the means to be able to afford some work being done around the house, but yet we have a minimal amount of guys that show up for that. And again, you have the ability to do it. Some of you have the time to do it. It's about finding out those needs that we have in the church and being able to say, let me go help someone out. That's just one of the ways, right? There, there, there's all kind of ways to help those that are in need. Right? Daily seeking others, daily seeking to help others leaves little room for us to say, I, I want what's best for me or what can I get out of this? Or how can I live my best life now? We don't have time for it. And I just put this question down in my notes for me to remind myself to say it, but we should always be thinking about this, is what if Christ were coming back, call it next month? What if Christ were coming back next month and you knew the date? How much would that change the way you operated? How much would that change the way you spent your time, money, resources? change big time for all of us, right? We, we have more of a detachment from this world because it's like, well, what's the point? What's the point? I only got so much time before I'm with Christ. I'm in his presence. So we would naturally detach from this world. But oftentimes when we don't think about Christ coming back, we then get more attached to this world because it's right in front of us. But James tries to get his audience to remind themselves of, look, Christ is coming back. And so you need not to be attached to this world. Back to our passage, looking at verse 4 and verse 6. 
says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. Right? You're not paying people. You're stealing money. You're cheating people out of money. They're crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What's interesting about James, James the just here, is there's extra biblical, biblical sources and tradition says that he got martyred. He got martyred by some of those same rich people that he constantly condemned and called out. They killed him. They killed him. That's what tradition says, right? And, and if you've been waiting for this verse the whole time, if you've been thinking about it, here it is, 1 Timothy 6.10. This is why they go to the extreme of killing people, because for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's the love of money. The love of money can make us just see red, and it can make us be ready to run over whomever is in front of us from stopping us from getting what we want. And that's what's happening here, right? These people in around the church, wherever they are, they're murdering people, murdering righteous people because they're in the way of them and their money. This love, love for money can lead to extreme evils that we need to understand. And you and I need to evaluate ourselves how we view money. How we view money, because it starts off small. Again, right, that, that love of money starts off small and it seems okay, but then it grows and blossoms into something big till we start murdering people, right, hating people, because they're in our way of getting money that we want. That's point number two this evening. Evaluate your approach towards money. Evaluate your approach towards money. The longer we have money, the more we think it's ours. The more we think it's ours. I mean, take this example Right here, if I were to give you $1,000, I'm not doing that, don't worry about it. If I were to give you $1,000 right now, and then next week I come and say, hey, can I, uh, let me get $700 from you, from the 1000 that I gave you. I'm sure you'd be like, yeah, absolutely, right? It, you just gave it to me, I, re- I remember that. I remember that last week, you just gave it to me, here's $700, right? I still get $300 that I didn't deserve, you just gave it to me as a gift. But then fast forward, if I gave you $1,000 and then a year went by or two years went by and I said, hey, brother, can I, can I get $700? You start looking at me funny. Right? Honestly, you look at me funny because you're like, for what? what? Why do you need $700? Why do you want my money? But again, I gave you that. What happened? There was time that elapsed between there. There's time. There's time for you to start to think, this is my money. I'm going to start to plan and think what I want to do with this, and now this is mine. And so now you're looking at it as if I'm asking you for money that you never had in the first place. But I'm just asking you for what I gave you, just a portion of it. But our attitude changed because we had it for a little while. Same thing happens with money here on earth. We understand it. We can quote the verses, right? Even James has told us every good and perfect gift comes from above. We understand that, and we we can recite that. But when we have it long enough, we start to think it's ours. And we start to think we can use it however we want to use it, and we get to pick and decide. Right? And it leads to evil when we think that way, when we love our money so much that we try to guard it, safeguard it, and we idolize that. James said, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which, kept, which you kept back by fraud. 
So here these rich are in, in, in James' day. They're starting to not pay their people. Right? People are doing work from them, and they're finding out reasons why they don't want to pay them. Why? Because they're money hungry. They're greedy. They don't want to give the money that they ought to give because they are in so in love with it themselves, they try to find a way to cut people out and keep it. And the, the, the Jews during this time, they were well-versed on the law. Leviticus 19, 9 through 13. Write that down. Leviticus 19, 9 through 13. And then you can also write down Deuteronomy 12, 24, 15. It says the same thing. Right? The Levitical law says it explicitly, how they should treat the poor and how they should pay people. Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Okay? So whatever your field is, you can reap all that's yours, but, but you need to leave something on the edge, right? Even though you did all the work, you need to leave something on the edge for it, right? Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. So you've already picked up some, you shouldn't go out for seconds. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. It's yours, right? No. God said, don't strip it bare. Why? Neither shall you gather fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God is telling people, look, you can have a vineyard. You can have all of this, all these fruit that are produced. But here's the law. You are not to take all of it. Even though it's yours, you understand that I gave this to you. So I'm telling you, you need to leave stuff on the fringes. I'm telling you, you shouldn't go back for seconds, get what you need, but then leave the rest to the poor. So there's an understanding there that God gave them direction that they should care for the poor. Caring for the poor should be part of their budget. They should allocate some of their resources to the poor. They were well-versed on that. But he continues. He says, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God, the name of the God, I am your Lord. Then he says this, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. It's right there. It's in the law. They all knew that. You should not steal. If somebody is working for you, you should pay them. Don't hold their money. You need to pay them on time because they are banking on that money from that day to go feed their family. So essentially, if you want to talk about murder, you're not allowing them to feed their family and their family is starving because you're not paying them on time. Right? All of that. They, they knew that. But again, the, the, the money hungry, the greediness, the desire, the, the love of money causes people to do evil things because all they're thinking about is themselves. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. Remember that? Remember that story? Right? They sold for a piece of property. And then what does Ananias do? He's, well, we're going to keep some back, and then I'll go to Peter and say, hey, here, here's what I got. Here's my contributions. Right? And, and Peter tells him, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Right? You're not lying against man. You're lying against God. And, of course, what happens? Dead. Right? Strikes him dead. But, again, it's that love of money that causes people to do evil things. Right? Ananias didn't think through the, the fact that God blessed him by selling that property. But he automatically said, this is mine, and I'm going to do what I want to do with it. Right? The, 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 the cries of the harvesters. They're crying out against you. Right? It says, they have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God hears all things. God hears it all. God sees it all. Right? We, we might be able to hide it from one another, but God sees all of that. Just think about Genesis 4, right? When God asked Cain, 
Right? He, he said, I, I, I hear the cries of your brother. Right? I hear the cry. What, what did you do? Right? God hears all of that. So you and I need to think about that more. Some of you have employees. Right? And you need to evaluate that. How are you paying your employees? Right? Would they say you're a generous person? Or would they call you a cheapskate? It happens. Right? Are you paying your employees on time? Right? Taxes. Hello. Are we honest about our taxes? Because there's loopholes out there that you can find. But it's not about what you get away with with government. It's about what God sees. Are we honest with our taxes? Are you looking to secretly gain a financial advantage through some aspect of your life? If you are, there needs to be repentance from that because God sees that. You might be getting away with it with us, but God sees all of that. And James is saying we need to cut that out. We need to stop that because it only leads to misery. It only leads to weeping and howling, right? It leads to evil and bad things. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Right, that, that deepest level of greed that you can get to, is start, they're starting to murder people. They're taking people to court. They're condemning people, and they're murdering people because they're that greedy. And all I'm saying is, like, while we're so quick to dismiss this and be like, well, I'm not about to murder anybody, it starts small, and then we gradually get to that place where we just see red. And, yeah, you might not physically murder somebody. I hope not. But that anger that you have in your heart, the same thing that Jesus equates with murder, and we can get that way when we love money that much. Preaching on money is one of the hardest things a pastor, a preacher can do. It's literally one of the hardest things that we can do. Because the second we start to talk about money, walls go up. Those are fighting words for some people. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Why? Because you think it's your money. Right? The second I started talking about money, some of you started cringing. Because you don't like when I'm talking about your pockets. Right? Like, you can talk about anything else. You can talk about sin. You can talk about it. Don't talk about my money. Why? Is it because there's a love of money there? And if there is, man, all I, all I want us to do with this message is make sure that that's not the case. I want us to remember that God gave you that. It's not yours. We are called to be stewards of the resources that God has given us. Because guess what? One day we're going to have to report back on what we did with that money that God has given us. And what I'm trying to say right here is we need to understand that as Christians, we need to be putting that towards eternal investments. Eternal investments, right? Not crossing that line of living lavishly. We need to have a loose grip on money. A loose grip on money. And I love that passage, Matthew, Matthew 6, going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 3 through 4. Being quick to be generous is, is, is a great way to put it. But Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. So he's saying, you're giving over here, but this, this left hand doesn't even know what you're doing. You're giving over here, but this right hand doesn't even know because you're giving. You're generous. You're, you're, you're not looking for some public uh, announcement of, hey, I gave this to focal point or I gave this to... No, God sees all of that, not knowing what your left hand is doing. And as Christians, our, our, our priority in giving and our finances and what we do with our money needs to be rooted in Christ. It needs to be rooted in Christ. Why? Because God gave it to us. And we should give back to him our first fruits. And the way that we give back to God our first fruits is giving to the church. Right, giving to the church. Galatians 6.6, 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Right, that is a biblical command that we all have, that we all should be giving. I'm digging in some pockets right now. I know it's, I know it's uncomfortable, but we all should be giving. And I'm saying that because I care about your holiness. I care about you following the commands of God. And he's telling us, you need to be giving back to the church. What you're giving, that's between you and the Lord. But it needs to, that action needs to be there. And, it's, and God says he loves a cheerful giver. Giving should sting a little bit. Right? It shouldn't be like, oh, whatever, I found this 20 bucks in my, my pants in the laundry. I wasn't going to do anything. No, giving should be a sacrifice. Because we're giving it back to the Lord so that we can use it to continue to advance God's kingdom. That's being good stewards of God's money that he's entrusted you with. Another area is just in general. In general, what people, what people label you as a generous giver. When you go to restaurants, do you tip well? Right? When you're paying your employees, would they say, hey, my boss is a generous boss? Right? He's, he's, a, he's a generous giver. Your neighbors, your coworkers, all those people, it doesn't necessarily have to be finances, it doesn't have to be money, but would you be considered a generous person to others? Because it's not our money. But when we're generous to others, it prompts a question typically, especially when you do it to non-believers. What's that question? Why are you so nice? And you know what that response is? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Can I tell you a little bit about him? Right? Your generosity opens up doors for the gospel. To all those that are around you. But we have to have our mindset focused on it's not our money, men. It's given to us by God, and we need to honor him with how we use it. On a different subject, I'm so thankful for our, our kids' men workers. Some of you in here worked in kids' men, and I, I'm, I'm just thankful because I got my own four. That's a gift. It's a gift to work in kids' men. And I'm just so thankful that we have wonderful people in there that take the time to make sure that our kids are learning well and they're, they're, they're developing good behavioral skills while they have them there during that time. Because it's, it's one word that will flip the script for everything. One word that you can hear in any kid's men around any kids that means it's going downhill. You know what that one word is? Mine. That's mine. You hear mine? It, it, it's about to go down. You got to get there. 
right? Because if you, if you think about mine, you got a kid that's hoarding the toys or hoarding something, and you got these other kids that are like vultures that are surrounding this one kid, like you're about to give me some of that, and it, it's about to go down. It's not a good situation, and it all starts off with mine. But you know what's interesting about everything that happens in kids' club? When the service ends, all the kids get picked up. All the toys get left behind. And they quickly realize it wasn't yours in the first place. Right? You, you had a little time to play with it while it was during service, but when you left, the toy stayed there. It wasn't yours in the first place. Men, we must understand nothing here is ours. We can't take any of it with us. We're stewards. We're stewards. And when God calls us home or Jesus comes back, all of it is left behind. And what you and I need to just remember with all of this is we need to steward what God has given us and steward it well by examining our hearts and focusing on eternal investments, not setting up shop here on earth and understanding that all these things God gives us, he wants to see a return in that. And that needs to be our mindset with everything we have, with our finances, with our time, with our resources, with our gifts that we have. God wants to see those used for his glory and his honor and not for us to set up shop here. So let's work hard to do that well this week. And I pray that God will give you an opportunity to display that generosity in someone's life. Let's pray. God, money is a, a, a tough concept to talk about just because we can, even in a, a few minutes, a few hours, can feel like the money that we have is ours, and we can use it however we want to use it. But Lord, I just pray that we would leave this room this evening and have that, 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 that mindset that it's all yours. Everything that we have, every good and perfect gift comes from above. It's from you and, Lord, you are looking for us to do something with it and not indulge in our own selves and not set up shop here on earth, but make eternal investments for your kingdom so that more people would be saved, so that more people would know the name of Jesus Christ, so that we have more opportunities to share the gospel through our kindness and generosity. So, Lord, uh, if there's some in here right now that have a tight grip on money, even some that may not have a lot of money, they have a tight grip on what they have. Lord, I pray that we would loosen that up starting tonight and that we, we would seek first your kingdom and how we could use our finances there and that we wouldn't be called those unrighteous rich that James references, that the Bible mentions so many times, but we would be seen as men that are generous and glorifying you in all that we do. So help us with that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.